very much uh, appreciate you bringing that prayer and that that Bible reading as as well. Um, Francis uh, Schaefer has um, a famous famous book, a, you know, a prolific author, um, sorry, author some years ago. And he had a, um, a book called um, um, How Should We Then Live? It's a great question. And, um, um, and in some ways, this passage before us is Paul's effort to, to actually um, highlight that, to, to actually answer that question. Well, this is actually how, how we should live. And, and thank you for, for just reading that now, Lynn. Um, Paul answers the question by saying, we should live to please God. We should live to please God. What is fascinating about this passage, I think, is, is how quickly it follows on um, from the Thessalonian Christians um, accepting the good news of the gospel and, and the, the salvation offered through Christ Jesus. It's, it's a little bit of an insight into perhaps how Paul operated in, in, his, in his evangelistic efforts. He would bring the gospel, um, there would be conversion, and then it was immediately followed up with, with teaching, well, this is now how life should look for you. This is how you, you should live. Um, he actually, actually says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this, this more and more. He then goes on and, and he covers a couple of topics and we'll deal with a few of those next week. But, but as um, um, Jim was just pointing out, the main focus for what he's, he's sharing here is the issue of sexual immorality. Now, of course, this, this has a particular, particular context. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Greece um, and uh, somebody was sharing with me their dismay. They'd been up in one of the rural towns and there'd been this festival. And at the festival, there, there was these various floats which were um, taken down the, the main road. And, and on these floats were uh, big replicas of, of ancient Greek gods. And in this very, very unfortunate moment of syncretism, a Greek Orthodox priest um, approached and prayed over one of these particular floats. It was for the wine, wine festival, the harvest festival. And, uh, and he approached this big god and then, and then wine, um, you know, was, was produced from the, from the god and, and you don't want to think about where, where it was produced from, but, but wine was produced and they prayed over it and then there was dancing. And this particular festival is really known for its debauchery, just the, the fact that people wear masks and pretend to, to be who they're not and, and it is, it's, it's just really, really um, immoral. Now, that's a current day practice, but it harks back to ancient Greece, um, where their festivals were well known for their, for their debauchery and, and immorality. And that's the context, of course, in which the Thessalonian church is, is living. It's, it's, a, it's a word um, that Paul would seem to take to all of the churches. It was the instruction of the Jerusalem church, gave to the church in Antioch. Um, about matters of, of what, what does it mean for Gentiles to, to now become Christians. And the word is to avoid sexual immorality. And, and the, I, I guess the, the picture is a little bit like, you know, you've been in the kitchen before, somebody has, has broken a glass and it's just shattered everywhere. Maybe it's summer, but somebody happens to be in bare feet and you're stuck 
You've got glass everywhere. Now to walk through that glass, you, you're trying to avoid the shards which are going to cause you injury. And that's the same sense here. In terms of avoiding sexual immorality, um, Paul is saying you live in a world that is saturated with sexual immorality. Like, like shards of glass, be careful, avoid it. Walk very carefully as you walk through this world. Don't get injured, don't get hurt. Um, be very, very careful. Um, but what is sexual immorality? A lot of people are sort of playing, uh, nowadays playing with this, this concept a little bit, but it's actually very, very simple. The Greek word is porneia. And if you think about it, sexual immorality is the opposite to sexual morality. The word porneia in Greek is a very broad term. It covers a whole host of, of sexual behavior that is the opposite to what God first intended. And so we would, uh, there is a sermon on this actually, which I preached a, a couple of years ago. It's probably about an hour long, but if you're interested, um, contact the office and we'll give you the link or it's on, you can find it on Vimeo, Sexuality and Genesis. It goes into this in, in some depth. But, but real, real quick, uh, sexual morality is, is, you know, we find it in Genesis 1 and, 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2. And we read there that God made people in his own image. Um, he blessed them for that purpose, that they would be able to bear his image. Uh, God is the creator, and they were to also create. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to procreate. God is a ruler, and they were also to rule on God's behalf. They were to be good stewards of, of his earth. And, and God pronounced this not just good, but very good. That's where we get the word moral from. It's, it's, this is the utmost morality. This is the highest morality. Not just good, very good. This is moral. And, 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 and so that's the context for sexual immorality. That is why a man um, will leave his father and his mother. He'll be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And Jesus, when talking to the Pharisees, affirms this. He says, uh, that, that in, don't, have, you, have you not read in the beginning, God made them man and woman. Um, and, 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 and then he repeats uh, Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother. He's united to his wife. The two become one flesh. And then Jesus adds on this, this little phrase. And you often hear it at a wedding, don't you? What God has put together, let no one separate. Or if I, I'm going to speak that in a postmodern world, what God has constructed, let no one deconstruct. That's what sexual morality means. Sexual immorality is every deviation from, from that. Now, sometimes some people think that, that God isn't, isn't for sex. It's the most ridiculous thought. He actually created it. Um, some people think that God doesn't want us to have pleasure. Don't you know that when he created it, he knew this would bring us great pleasure? But like a fire in a fireplace or a river within its banks, it has a place. And when the fire comes out of the fireplace or the river overflows its banks, it does damage. And God knows that. And, but his desire is actually very positive. I heard this song the other day. It's a sweet song. You might want to have a listen to it called Girl of My Dreams uh, by Brandon Heath, I believe. And, and the first verse goes, I just saw the girl of my dreams. And he talks about, you know, wanting to send her flowers. And then the second verse is, I just met the girl of my dreams. And, and he's, it goes on to talk about sitting on the porch and drinking coffee for hours. Um, the verse 
the, sorry, the chorus goes, falling in love is a beautiful thing, like every morning is the first day of spring. The third uh, verse is, so I married the girl of my dreams. Then he talks about it, then getting married in a little chapel in Tennessee. Then the, the fourth verse is, now I live with the girl of my dreams. And, and he notes it's different than I thought it would be. You know, she's st stolen all my closets and, and she tells me I snore. And then he goes on and he says, and yet I love her more every minute. The next verse is, I'll grow old with the girl of my dreams. Talking about holidays and building up thousands of memories, heartaches and laughter, yeah, I'll take it all and I'll learn to be thankful. And then he finishes off by saying, falling in love is a beautiful thing. You give up yourself, but you gain everything. She's more than a lover. She's my best friend. I'll be her companion until the end. God must be up there smiling on me. It's a sweet song. God's plan for sexuality is, is simply this that that we will get as my my wife noted when i when i played her this song as i as i did soon after i discovered it and she noted ah oh, for more and more people to be able to sing that last verse to sing the song all the way through and i said amen i think you've just given me a sermon illustration um absolutely god's intent God's original intent is that we'll be able to sing a song like that all the way through to the very, very first, the, the very, very last, last verse. And so, so that's sexual morality, and he means it for our good. Remember, it's the enemy who comes to, to steal and kill and destroy. But God wants you to flourish and have a, have a, have a wonderful life, and, and your sexuality is a part of that. Um, it's, that's God's, God's design. So practically speaking, how should we then live? What does, it, what does this passage tell us? Well, well, Paul says, firstly, understand and, and step into your sanctification. Be sanctified. Um, and that literally means to, to be holy, set apart, set apart from something and set apart for something. In other words, um, God in Christ says you are righteous, you are special, and he places us in a, on, on the top shelf. He says, be sanctified. You are special. Now behave special. It's why we'd be surprised to, to find a bride in her, in her bridal gown playing in the mud or, or a groom in his, in his suit uh, sitting in a pigsty. You are special. Behave as special. Um, be sanctified, uh, Paul, Paul says. Um, you are special. Behave special. And, and, and then in verse 4, he says in verse 3, in verse 4, he says, literally, get control of yourself. Actually, in the Greek, a good, a good translation of this would be, get mastery of your own vessel. Think about a large ship. This is easy for me. When we were on the MV Doulos, there was this time in the South China Sea where we, where we absolutely lost propulsion. And we're in the middle of a typhoon. It could not have been worse possible timing. But here's, here's something that you, you may not realize about a large ship. When you lose propulsion, of course, you lose steering. But you don't just drift along. And I think some people, some people think that, you know, ah, enough of control, self-control. You know, I'm just going to drift with the times, drift with society. It doesn't happen. When you lose propulsion, you don't just drift with the waves. You get turned around. And then you get buffeted and buffeted and buffeted by the waves. The damage internally to the, to the ship at that time, obviously, 
obviously we didn't sink it, we didn't go, go under, we had some amazing engineers who got our propulsion back, we got our steering back and were able to steer back into the waves and, and all was well. But, but the damage internally, um, computers falling off desks and that our, our ship was rocked significantly over that time and, and everything that wasn't tied down got thrown, thrown around. And, and, and Paul is saying here, you need to have mastery over your own vessel. There is no just drifting with, with society, drifting along um, with, with the current. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You will get turned around. You will be conformed to the ways of this world. Um, verse 5, uh, do not be like the pagans who are, who are given over to passionate lust. Um, they are being buffeted again and again by the waves and the, uh, the times that we have. And, and really lust or giving, being given over to passionate lust is, is like surrendering to the external forces around you. Paul says, don't do that. Be sanctified. Remember, you are special, so behave special. Then verse 6, very, very practical. He says, do not wrong a brother or a sister in this matter. Um, you, uh, some translations say to take advantage of a brother or sister. The Greek word um, means to exploit. In other words, why would you shipwreck someone else's life, particularly part of God's family? And it's a stern warning, isn't it? And it's a good warning for us to heed and to think, oh yeah, yeah, let's not mess around here. This is important matter. Far be it from me to be a part of somebody else's life or faith being, being shipwrecked. But here's a promise too. And I want to, want to just speak directly now to, to those of you who, who, have been, who have been hurt in, in this regard, who are part of the family of God. The, here's a promise. The Lord says, and, and Paul says this, the Lord himself will seek justice on your behalf. Um, he, he says that, he says that just, just there in, in verse, verse, um, verse 7. Is it verse, verse 6? The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. The Lord will punish. The Lord will avenge for you. I know when, when people are being hurt, it's, it's, it's difficult to forgive, isn't it? And particularly in, in this matter, when you are being, being hurt or taken advantage of or being exploited by, by somebody else. Forgiving them is, is difficult. What if they do it again? Am I letting them off the hook? It may help you to just, to just know that the Lord will seek justice on your behalf. You can let go now. You can let go of this. Yes, you can forgive them. And know you are not letting them off the hook. By forgiving them, you're actually letting yourself off the hook. It's important that you do that. But the Lord will seek justice on your behalf. So he says, firstly, be sanctified. You're special, behave special. Do not, and then secondly, do not wrong a brother or sister in Christ. Don't take advantage of others in God's family. And then in verse 8, he says, he says this, do not reject God. He says, uh, whoever, um, whoever rejects this instruction does not simply reject a human being as if you, well, Paul thinks this, but I reject it. You know, you, you wouldn't be rejecting Paul. And you wouldn't be rejecting anyone else who teaches this truth. No, you're rejecting God himself, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And what, what Paul is saying here is you're not just 
rejecting here good advice. You're actually rejecting the advisor. <laughs> you're not just, you're just rejecting um, good counsel. You, you're rejecting the counsel. You're rejecting the very Holy Spirit who actually empowers you to live a godly life. Now, Philippians 2.13 says it is God who works in you um, is to um, act and to will according to his good purposes. God's Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you. He's the one who gives you power. Remember Acts 1.8, um, uh, Jesus instructed the disciples to wait into the city for the Holy Spirit, who would give them power to be witnesses, to, to actually live the life. Well, Paul here, here's a call to live a life that pleases God, particularly in regards to sexual morality. But he also recognizes you can't do this by yourself. The Holy Spirit himself, of course, is the one living in you, empowering you to live this life. And you're going to need him because you are not just battling your own human flesh or that of others. There are principalities and powers that are working against you in order to, to steal the good plans that God has for your life. You are up against more than you can handle. You are going to need the Holy Spirit of God to empower you to, to live this kind of a life, to walk the walk. Therefore, you need to heed this instruction. Don't reject this instruction, for you are actually rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Um, uh, if I can use another Doulos example for a moment. It was an old, old ship um, built in 1914, if you think about it, that's just a couple of years after the Titanic, an old, old ship. Now, the bridge had been um, refurbished on a number of occasions, but they still had the old telegraph, which you may have seen in old movies of steamships and, and so forth. Here's the, here's the thing. A lot of people feel that, that that old telegraph is like a throttle, you know, full speed ahead, fast or slow or, or stationary, that, that you're actually throttling the ship forward or back or so forth. Not at all. It actually just sends a signal to the engine room. It rings a bell down there and, and the engineer down there receives a message, a communication. Make the engine go faster. Make the engine stop. Make the engine go in reverse. And so he then, you know, goes and does that. He has another set of controls. What, what sometimes people think is a throttle is not a throttle at all. It's called an EOT or a, an engine order telegraph. And it just sends a signal to the, to the engine room. Well, when we disobey God's commands, it's a little bit like cutting the cable to, to that and kind of saying, I don't need the engineer. I don't need those guys in the engine room. I can throttle this ship back and forth myself. I can do it myself. I, I will take control here. I mean, I'm going to reject the advice that has come my way. It's, if you were to do that, it's, it's, it's like cutting the cable and thinking that you're in control when you're not really. You've just lost communication. You've lost your abiding with the one person who can actually empower you to live the life that pleases God. That's why Paul is saying, do not reject this teaching because you are rejecting God and, and indeed the Holy Spirit. It's like cutting that, that cable, that communication cable to the Spirit of God, the, the counselor, one who empowers you for this walk. You lose your abiding and in that you lose your ability to be able to stand strong and steadfast in, in these matters. That is the, the one thing that I think I would, I would close on here, and, and, and that, is, that is this. Like all things, to live a life that is pleasing to God, it comes down from that, 
that communion with God, that abiding in Christ Jesus. And as you obey his commands, you are able to have a clear communication with the one who will counsel you, will show you what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral, and the one who empowers you to then walk the walk. Well, God bless you. And, and um, Dave is going to share a song with us now and, and just lead us in preparing our hearts for communion. And then I'm going to be back with you in just a moment to, to lead you through communion. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Thank you, Stuart. Why don't you join with us um, as we sing? Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. For he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah.
bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasures Thanks. Thanks, Dave, for, for leading us there. I hope you've um, got some um, bread and juice and you're ready to, to share communion with us. Come to the altar. On that, on that altar, we find the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has, who has laid down his life for us. That's who we come to. We come to, to Jesus. It, it's been said that in this matter of particularly sexual morality, there's, there's no one, there's no one who, who has, has not in some way fallen short of God's plan in this regard, except for one. Of course, that's, that's Jesus, isn't it? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very, very clear that the, the level of, of morality that he is looking for is of the highest possible order. In this regard, he, he demands absolute righteousness. And he knows that's impossible. He knows that, that, that no one can meet that standard of righteousness. And that's why he, he gave his life for you and for me. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame. And think about that. Of course, with sin, there is guilt and there is shame. But Jesus has taken that upon himself and he has removed all guilt and he has removed all shame as well. It's like Christ. Remember that image of the um, uh, engine order telegraph, that uh, communication between the bridge and the engine room. Well, that when we see it, it, it gets damaged. And Christ comes and, and his blood is such that, that that connection is repaired once more, made strong and whole and right again. And so we can have communion and fellowship with God. Um, Jesus also, in taking away our guilt and shame, invites us to wear his robe of righteousness, to take his righteousness upon ourselves. He says to you and to I, I, I know that you have failed in this area. I know all about all of your failings, but please take off your filthy rags, take off those robes, don't wear them. It's not becoming for somebody sanctified such as you, sanctified by my blood. Instead, come, please take my coat, put on my coat of righteousness and fit it to yourself. Wear my righteousness because that is befitting a child of God. And that's what we're invited to do now so if you have if you have the cup the cup with you it's a symbol of the blood of christ which was shed for you which atones for all did you hear that for all of your sin the father looks at the shed blood of his son jesus and he says it's sufficient that'll do that'll do you're covered so let's Let's drink together, shall we? And we also have the bread, a symbol of his body broken for you and for I. The body of Christ, which was broken for you. Again, the father looks at the broken body of his son 
And he says, that's sufficient. That's sufficient. You're covered. So through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, he has covered, atoned for your sin and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Forgiven your sin and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Why don't you take the bread and just give thanks for the body of Christ which was broken for you. Take a moment. drink together in just a moment but while we're in many different homes and offices different places I nonetheless invite us to to make the confession that we so often do make together and that is that Jesus Christ is is Lord just before we drink so let's do that now let's make that confession in our respective homes together Jesus Christ is Lord let's drink together Heavenly Father, you, you know, sadly, our capacity to fail in this area of sexual morality. We, we hurt one another and we get hurt. But we are so thankful that you intervened, so thankful for the cross, so thankful for Jesus. So thank you for his, his body which was broken. So thankful for his blood which was shed. So thankful for the forgiveness that is ours through Christ Jesus. We receive that and allow that to wash over us. Would you please help us to accept your verdict that his blood is sufficient. Would you help us to walk in the righteousness that is now ours in Christ Jesus? Would you help us in this regard to rise above society and through your spirit that, that dwells within to live an empowered life that faces the the current and the waves of this world and drives through them that does not surrender to them, give up, turn side on, eventually to be sunk. But would you help us to allow your, the Spirit of God to in, empower us to drive through those waves and live a holy and righteous and blameless life that brings you much glory. We praise you, Jesus, and we, we thank you that this is a prayer you love to answer. We can truly pray your will in this matter be done on earth, in us, as it is in heaven. Praise you. 
we thank you. And we delight in the fact that just as the sun rose this morning, every day with you is a new day filled with new possibilities. We praise you. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Help us to, to be a loving community, living lives of the utmost purity that truly reflects the family of God and is a blessing to one another and a light to the community around us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Let it be. Amen. God bless you.